Discover new mind and body hacks to thrive as a human today. The Institute for Aliveness is here to teach you all the things you never learned in school. From talking poop, sex, childhood trauma, emotional intelligence, psychedelics, and of course, fasting and food. This is a podcast that changes lives. Join your host, Dr. Andrea Page, as she travels seven continents to find the most captivating, impactful humans for you. Welcome into the love bubble, everyone. Um, I'm sitting here on Zoom with Suzanne Rausgard, who is, uh, I would consider one of my teachers. I'll get emotional. <laughs> um, yeah, who's just a beautiful force on the planet. Um, doing really clean work in a world that uh, has a lot of risk in it. Um, yeah. So I'm overjoyed, Suzanne, to have you here. And um, I hope everyone listening is also overjoyed to listen to whatever happens over the next 50 minutes. And I would love to ask you to start by introducing yourself. If you will, and give a little bit of your background. <laughs> yes. I always find it so difficult. What's important to tell? Well, first of all, <laughs> and uh, I have been abroad for some years, and I've just returned to my con- home country like a week ago. And uh, I have a background that uh, originates back in the medical world as a midwife, Danish midwife, which is quite different from what an American midwife would be since uh, we have our own authorizations and our own field of expertise without having to ask doctors for permission. We have like general governmental permissions for various things. And um, through that work, I became firstly aware of sexual abuse because you meet so many uh, pregnant and birthing women where it was very obvious that their body had experienced something big and many of them had no memory of it. That was also Mm -hmm very clear that many of them didn't know what was going on and that took me into a journey of realizing that the hospital world do not dress you up for knowing how to deal with trauma and especially not sexual trauma and it doesn't dress you up for even realizing how the medical procedures impact you know those traumas so I ended up uh, starting uh, just wanting to become a sexologist specialized in, in sexual trauma because then I could do my work better. And um, very fast, you know, you realize as when you work with sexology, there's often a partner and there's often couples trouble. I didn't know anything about that. So I had to go into count, uh, couples counseling get trained in that and then you realize couples often get children then you have family issues so I had to do family therapy and all the time trauma kept coming up again and again which meant that I've done a lot of different trainings within um, trauma um, to what you call it trauma informed I think you call it in the U.S. Um, education some more uh, bodily uh, and some more on a cognitive level and eventually I ended up Uh, taking a a four-year psychotherapy education also and then I've done a lot of other things so I have I think eight or nine educations in my background where the majority of them are therapeutically or bodily uh, body oriented therapeutical Um, and actually I'm no longer a midwife because I gave up my authorization last year um, because 
um, I work too alternatively for the official medical world. So uh, they, they thought, because I sometimes also work with medicine plants, and that was not allowed. So I said, well, it's no problem because I will never come back to the hospital anymore. And I do have the knowledge I have and I have my own work, which is, you know, where I'm a kind of midwife now. I just don't deliver babies anymore. At least <laughs> the ones that are coming out of the belly. Now it's more, you know, helping people deliver them back to themselves and their own essence. And uh, yeah, so over the years, I, I developed my own way of working by first of all discovering things I would notice and see for myself but also through all the trainings I've done started to realize wow you know when this group talks about that and that group talks about that they're basically talking about the same but from two very different perspectives uh, which means that they don't even realize they're they're dealing with the same area and I started implementing little elements of, of my different trainings and combining them in a new way um, and over the course of of well at least 10 years but when I look back I would say pretty much ever since I was around a big teenager I've been gathering all the little pieces of my puzzle to develop the Gaia method which mm -hmm. is the work that that I'm now offering around mainly Europe but also sometimes further out at least before COVID further out than Europe mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah and this is where we originally met uh last year I attended first Suzanne's women's retreat, which I can't recommend highly enough for any female-bodied individual. Uh, and then this year I was lucky enough to come to a full-body de-armoring retreat. And I hope to study more with you in the future. And um, yeah, the, the Gaia method for me, because I had trained before uh, with a few different teachers in in de-armoring was a deep breath of relief after uh seeing de-armoring in its worst um in my first de-armoring training I actually left with a broken rib um and there aren't really people that I recommend that people study with other than Suzanne um for those reasons and more and um yeah, I, I would love to generally speak, if you would, from, from your words to a novice listener, what is de-armoring? And obviously, there's, it's a big answer. It's a vast field. I mean, Where's your entry point? What I typically tell people is actually that if anyone is telling them that I give de-armoring sessions, I tell them you have no clue what they're going to do then. Yeah. Because it's like an umbrella term that basically just means that you have some armor and some blockages in your body and I'm going to help you remove it somehow. But you really have no clue what they're going to do to you because it, it's being done in so many different ways. Um, and, and there's also the difference to if people are only using the touch form without combining other modalities, other, you know, not knowledges into their work. Um, so the way I work with it is like in the D Gaia method, I don't even consider myself a de-armoring uh, practitioner because I use touch and that type of touch is typically, you know, called by others de-armoring and that makes it easier for me to then use that term because then people have an easier way of, of you know, finding it when they're actually looking for it. Um, but you can risk, just like you say, you can risk 
receiving these really, really forceful ways where you're going to come home, you know, broken bones or that's the extreme cases. But still, you could be blue, black, yellow, red, and, you know, who knows what color, purple for, for even weeks after you received a so-called session where, you know, the, the armor, which is in our body for a really good reason, was broken down. And, and this is where I um, is very much in disagreement with, with many of the, the ways the armoring is being done around uh, Europe and the world because it's too forceful. It doesn't respect why the body has chose to put in armor in the body, that there's actually an original reason of protection of your being when your body protects you with an armor. So, so and, and I don't have the expertise of knowing why that was. And most of us actually don't have the expertise about ourselves because we don't remember it. And it mean, many of the things happened when we were too small to remember or it was so overwhelming an experience that we developed complete amnesia from it. And therefore we can't, you know, with our day conscious mind, get to the knowledge of why do I have this armor? It's just, you know, I've always been like that, or I don't know why, but this is just, you know, how I tend to show up in situations. And here for me, it's so important to have the respect that the body is still trying to protect you because for some reason, the body hasn't realized that the rest of you have grown up and maybe its defense mechanisms are now, you know, immature compared to your needs. But there's still a, a, an attempt in the body of, of protecting you. So for me, it's, it's very much uh, a way of, of being very soft and very gentle with the body. So for me, it's about patience, calmness, slowness, compassion and the honoring of the wisdom of the body. So that when I do uh, the touch the armoring where I, first of all, never pressure hard. So nobody will get blue marks from my work. They won't go home with, you know, muscles that are, are being, you know, almost like you've been in a little boxing match and, and, and it's too sore. Um, unless your own body does it, but it's not from my touch because that is, is very light. Um, and then, I add energy work to the touch and that's what makes the entire difference uh, between what I do and what most other does. Because when you uh, add the energy focus to your touch, you can penetrate as deep inside the body as you want. And you don't have to, you know, apply so much pressure that you're breaking through the tension the body is trying to hold. So it's sort of a, you know, very gentle way of insistingly keep on knocking on the door to the body until the body decides, okay, you can come in and it steps aside and it lets you come in. And also with, with my work, a lot of it is about, um, yeah, th there's a lot of re-educating the body and the person who owns the body mm -hmm. to, to this level of the body realizing, oh, I can actually trust my owner that, you know, whoever is going to look out for what is my best. I'm not going to be thrown over the cliff because I went to the edge to look down. I'm not going to mm -hmm. be pushed from the behind. I can trust that it's safe to go even to the darkest corners because if I suddenly, when I'm there in the middle of the darkest corner, realize, who I don't have the courage right now. I don't have the energy right now. It's too much. It's so important that the body realizes it's allowed. I can, I can step back. 
And the more this trust come into to, to the connection between body worker and receiver, the more the body actually starts trusting, even going to those places that are normally scary. Um, so, so there's part of the re-education of, of helping uh, the client show the body that actually you're in control of this session. There might be a body worker or a practitioner who's supporting you, but you're not being done to. You're, you are the one who is inviting it and saying yes, and the other one is providing a service, but there is constantly that service stops when the body says no more. Um, so, so that's also when I do the dearmoring. But in, in short term, dearmoring is really just a, a way of touching the body that has, first of all, nothing to do with massage. That's very important to, to point out because many people think it's a bit like massage. It's not massage at all. Um, also because it doesn't have the purpose of a massage. It's not, it doesn't have the purpose to, for you to go home and say, oh, that felt so good and smooth and flowy. It might have been like that, but then that was because that supported the opening up of the blockages, not because it's the purpose of it. And also most of the time, I mean, we put a finger on a spot and we might sit with that finger on one spot for, you know, who knows how long. Sometimes it's just, you know, 10 seconds, sometimes it's three minutes. But I think the longest I sat with my finger on one point was a bit more than half an hour, just on one point. And where the entire session that was two hours long, I touched three points of the body with one finger. And then you know, the body had gone into all sorts of energy starting to move, blockages starting to open, memories starting to come up. And sometimes these memories can be um, like mental memories where you get the story back in your head of what happened to you. But very often uh, the memories is more the body remembering the emotions that has been suppressed and that energy of I'm still carrying the sadness or I'm still carrying the words of anger that I want to, you know, have my tongue and my lips and my vocal cords finish the the actual movement of, uh, or it's a defense mechanism movement, which could be self-defense from someone attacking you, but it could also be that you had an accident. And in that accident, your body didn't manage to roll up into the most protective position, which is what the body will always try to do. So these are memories that often come up and so in, in these blockages that, that people have in the armor, a lot of it is memory in the system, nervous system and muscular cell uh, level of what I should have done to keep myself the safest possible. But then, you know, and, and the process of this action was already initiated back then. But then for some reason, it sort of froze in the time loop or, or a, a time pocket actually it froze there and it never finished so you can almost compare it to someone who started a movie long time ago and then put it on pause and forgot all about the movie but the movie is still waiting for someone to come and say hey we're not done you know let's finish this cycle here so a lot of the de-armoring is really about finding these parts within people to to finish these unfinished cycles and to connect and and so, so you have the, you know, you have the level of connecting on a very physiological level where it's a nervous system, where your 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 body nerve brain connection is is sort of 
well, it's still there, but you're not aware anymore that it's there where you, you broke your, your capacity to actually pick up on the impulses. So sometimes the de-armoring is really about um, restarting that connection again so that what I usually call a head on feet people, you know, there's feet and there's a head, but there's no body in between where we suddenly get a connection back and they're like, whoa, there's a body in here and it feels in different ways and I didn't know it. Uh, and then there's the emotional uh, reconnection where it's someone that had to disconnect emotionally, you know, um, either be very flatliner type of person or someone where certain emotions just don't happen in their life within their own uh, emotional system because they have dissociated from just part of the emotional system where it's about getting access back to that. Um, and then there's the cognitive part, which is, you know, uh, sometimes memory, where we have to rewrite our own um, story afterwards. Mm -hmm. And then there is the last bit where what I see a lot with my work that we develop based on our experiences uh, that that comes um, to the surface and and where they get a possibility for transformation of that. So, you know, unwanted kind of, of behaviors we have that are sort of an auto response, they, uh, they can then suddenly um, be transformed, not by spending a lot of energy remembering to do it, but simply because the root cause that makes the body still feel a need to do it went away. And when that root cause goes away, then those additional behaviors that were linked to an original root cause, they actually disappear on the spot as well. Yeah, definitely answer. There's a lot there. There's a lot to, to unpack from the beginning when you were speaking in contrast of your work, um, as opposed to many other people who are calling themselves to be arming practitioners and perhaps the amount of listening versus the amount of doing or the assumptiveness of the practitioner that's often where any kind of practitioner whether it's a health coach or a life coach or a naturopath whatever if there's this assumptiveness of I'm healing you or I'm helping you or I am this person I am personally branding myself whatever it might be there's uh, some good podcasts in earlier seasons uh, you can search the healer's ego trap that speaks more about that. There was also a podcast with our TIFA faculty, Dylan Bernstein, if you want to look that up. It was about branding and Dharma and all of these things. Um, and so, yeah, hence my massive appreciation for the Gaia Method and for your work, Suzanne, and what you've brought to this field. Um, in terms of the people listening, I loved when, when you shared a little bit about the different... Uh, scenarios where someone recaptures a part of themselves or in Peter Levine's work, somatic experiencing can the body can finish something that it started. Um, would you be willing to share a few stories so that people maybe things like accidents or listeners might have these, these common things. And, you know, because otherwise I know you listener, you're sitting there saying, I don't need de-armoring. I don't have armor. And, and the truth obviously is that we all have armor. We live in a very, armoring world i mean there, there's many different types of of um examples well one of the example i can give on this thing of the body can still be holding on to to an unfinished uh, movement for instance was um 
was a woman I was working with who was in the mid fifties. And I always tell my clients that if you get a body impulse during the session where you suddenly feel like you're, you know, your body wants to do something. Maybe it suddenly wants, you know, a hand want to move, a foot want to move, or the body want to roll, who knows what, or just um, increase that, sort of enhance that impulse a little bit to, to sort of give permission to the body and sort of see what does it want to do if I allow this movement. And one woman I had told this to, she suddenly starts, you know, doing like this this circular movement with her hand it's very um, well yeah it looks like and and but she is in this session her mind is active like but this is so ridiculous what should this help i mean but but it feels good i want to do it but so she was judging in the middle of this session while she was still you know following my my instructions and even after and then at some point after 20 minutes she suddenly said i'm done and I said, what are you done with? She says, I don't know. I just know I'm done. And then, you know, after the session, we talk and she said, that's so weird. It's, it just seems so silly. What good should it do that I'm doing this with my hands like that? And then suddenly she says, whoa, I know what I'm doing. I said, okay, so what were you doing? So she got suddenly memory coming up. She said, I was in a solo car accident with my dad when we were, when I was five. And it was one of these freak accidents where for reasons nobody understood he lost control over the car drove into the middle of a grass field flat grass field like a football field you could just you know slowly have taken off the speed and then he hits the only tree in that field with high mm -hmm. speed so her body had the memory of turning the wheel so that they didn't get damaged and in her case both her father and her had got seriously injured from from this accident so she had had a lot of suffering growing up from you know um issues that that was the result of the accident mm -hmm. um many times what i experience with my work is uh, i have a lot that at some point end up receiving genital dearmoring and throat dearmoring because one of the areas where, where blockages show in our life is the need to wear a mask. To not be authentic when you're out and about, to not dare speak your truth, to not dare, you know, if you sit with a group of people and they're sharing an opinion and you actually have the exact opposite opinion, you don't agree with them at all. And maybe they ask, what do you think? Ah, oh, it's the same. You know, where you actually don't even dare say to them, mm, I actually don't agree with you. And these can be blockages from, from things. And we don't even need to know what it is that blocked you. But that block that happened in the past showed you that it was dangerous to be you, to, to be seen as you, and that you better follow, you know, the group and the opinion of the group. And what people experience with the armoring is that very often, two, two of the big, let's say, side effects I'm having with my clients uh, is that they suddenly start speaking up without spending time in their brain contemplating about how to say this or when to say it. You know, they just get an end, a question. Maybe somebody's, you know, ask them, yeah, I need to move in the weekend. Can you come and help me? I need some helpers. And maybe it's the only weekend in the month where you could have some time off and you'd really looked forward to it. And in the past, you would hear yourself go, oh yeah, sure, I can help you. And inside you would think, oh shit, there goes my weekend because I really wanted to have some time off. 
and they will suddenly hear themselves say, no, I can't, I need a, a weekend for myself. And they're like completely shocked, like, did I just say that? Where they were like, I totally meant it, but I would never have said it before. And now they experience that they say it without guilt. It's just like, no, that's just fact. I can't help you because I've got other plans. Yes, they only involve me, but that's actually just as valid as your need. That can be one. Um, and also this thing of putting up boundaries that a lot of them are experiencing that they start setting boundaries towards, you know, family, friends, coworkers, uh, bosses, you know, if, if there's areas in their life where, where they um, either have experienced that people are invading their boundaries and they're never there to say, hey, take a step back, you know, you're too close to me or whatever it might be about. And now they just say it naturally where it comes without this thought because it's what they or originally would have done. And now without that block, what is really in there can be expressed. Many uh, that I've been working with over the years also are people with chronic pain. And chronic pain very, very often, especially when it's these type of chronic pain where the doctors can't find a reason. And, you know, in the end, just learn to live with it and we'll give you some, you know, more bandage and, and whatever to, to, to manage your day. Um, where when we work through the blockages and we remove them, then they stop needing their painkiller. Pain goes mm. away. Uh, so that's something I see a lot. Um, various ailments that people have, whether it's skin diseases, fibromyalgia, asthma, you know, all these kind of things I've seen so many times over the years that they just vanish when we've been releasing the blockages. And many times the blockages we work with in the body get people to move in the session. There's emotions coming up in the session. Sometimes they have a fraction of a story coming up, but they cannot put it into context. Um, but what they're noticing is the impact in their private life afterwards. They're more happy, they feel lighter, they feel like they can breathe better, they feel like there's a space inside their body, uh, tightness went away, pain went away, um, and also this uh, thing of, of daring to actually speak up. Uh, and more of them are describing that <clears throat> they become more and more the same person, no matter what setting they're in. It's not like, mm -hmm. you know, if you're if your colleague met you and your family, they would be shocked because they can't recognize you because that's not who you are at work, where they actually experience that, no, I'm I'm truly me. And it doesn't matter if if you catch me in one place or the other, I will still come across to you as exactly the same person. Mm -hmm. So these are, are areas that I'm experiencing um, are, let's say, the results of, of really removing all these blockages. Yeah, and, and you said something um, uh, important because you said a lot of people will say, oh, I don't have trauma, but that's because of our definition of trauma for many people are, oh, then it was a big car accident or earthquake or you know some major catastrophe of some kind. But the majority of us have multiple micro traumas that have just you know repeated themselves so many times throughout our life and history or childhood that over time they did become big and especially things that happens to us when we are children. Um, these, these has an impact on our uh, development. It even has an impact on how our brain can, can finish its natural uh, cause of development. And it can even 
block parts of the brain for from not actually growing up, which then can have impact on how mature you come across. You know, it can have the impact on how how well do you rest in yourself, how self secure are you? You know, are you always looking outside yourself for safety or you know? So so it has a, a much bigger impact than than uh, most of us realize until we start letting go of the blockages and we start noticing, oh, wow, what I thought was me turned out to have been, you know, a, a coat I had put on, but I've worn that coat for so long, I didn't even know it wasn't part of me. Yeah. yeah. And one of the biggest things that I appreciate about Suzanne and all of you can hear it in her voice, that sense of sweetness, just pure sugar sweetness and, and discussing some of the spiciest flavors of the human experience. Yeah. So I'd like to invite you to speak a little bit more on uh, sexual dearmoring, obviously specifically men, women, what it results from. Obviously it's not only from sexual abuse or rape, or it's not only from molestation in early childhood that most humans today have experienced some form of imbalance, we'll call it, um, with their own sexual energy as well as in contact with a partner. I'm, I'm actually starting to more and more say genital dearmoring than sexual dearmoring. Mm. And that's because when we use the word sexual dearmoring about doing dearmoring in the pelvic and genital region, most people immediately think it deals with sexuality. And I think whenever I do genital dearmoring, in maybe 20% of the cases, sexuality is even involved. The rest of the, the time I'm dealing with inner children between the age of baby to seven years old, it's anything but sexual, anything but erotic. It's, it's more like reparenting. Uh, often the energy which is in this space is more like it's an adult really, you know, holding space for a very small wounded child that has not been seen, not been met, not been accepted, always made wrong or just ignored or, you know, stuff like that. It's much more that that I meet in, in the gentle region. Um, and, and, but the way it can uh, disclose itself in your life is that these things can then have an impact on your, your adult experience of your sexuality, even though it turns out that the root cause has a, as little to do with you know, sexuality as sitting down having dinner. It's like as far away from it as it really much can come, except the fact that we are touching the genital region. Um, so, so a lot of the time when I have someone that come with, with various issue, and some of the time it's pain, for, for the female body, it can be that, that there's a lot of pain the minute they either touch themselves or, you know, any kind of medical examination, that's painful. Or if they have like intercourse of some, some kind, um, that's painful too. But even with them, very often, the root deep, deep down is often not linked to anything that involves sexuality. But then when they start being sexual, because there's already all these tensions in the area, now the body starts getting repetitive, bad experiences of something that's either physically uncomfortable or physically painful, or where your boundaries are being overstepped, you're not being respected, or 
you are being intimate with someone that simply just don't have the capacity of tuning into another person and creating a joint tune of we follow each other where you suddenly become somebody else's agenda for how they want it done. So, so that often builds on top of it. And then of course there's, there is also the ones that comes with the, you know, the, the sexual trauma because they have incest or pedophilia in the background or, um, yeah, unfortunately, also the satanic sexual abuse is much more real than people are aware of. Um, so so that can also be what people come with in their background. And um, but most of the time, it's it's much more about um, that I wasn't met, seen and accepted for who I was and that or, you know, I was left alone and I was, you know, a, a tiny little baby. And my parents were like, ah, she's sleeping. We can go for a walk. And then you wake up five minutes after and they come back 40 minutes after and you've been screaming your lungs out in frustration and nobody's there. And if you take a baby, it actually takes 90 seconds of, of crying. If there's no response within 90 seconds, this is where the baby already starts uh, getting physical and mental impact on their persona. And on their trust in life, it goes so fast. Um, so there's there's really uh, a lot to to the the sexual genital dearmoring that is more about your early years in life. Then there's a group which is very much also about your first sexual experiences. How were they? You know, were you even ready for it? Because so many have had their the first sexual experience way before they are actually ready for it. They might have had, you know, a mental curiosity, but not a mental understanding of the physical implication of actually uh, introducing uh, sexual act into your body. And, and if I look at, at uh, when I work with male slash female bodies, um, there I see that it seems like there is a bigger impact on the female body than on the male body from the first uh, sexual contact. And that's something I've been sort of contemplating over, over the year, like what, what is the big difference here? And over the years, I've come to the conclusion, the big difference is whether or not you are being penetrated or you penetrate something. There's a huge difference to something entering inside your body or you taking a finger, sticking it into something. You know, those are two very different actions in, in, you know, the invasion of your system. So I more often meet the the female experience of of first or early sexual experiences that definitely were uh, overstepping boundaries or done in a way where often not out of, you know, no evil intent, simply just maybe two teenagers having absolutely no idea what they were doing, not knowing what the body needs, not knowing how to read the clues of the body saying, whoa, this is too fast, it's too early, or I'm not ready. Um, and then the impact comes on the physical tissue because it's the physical tissue that has the experience and it remembers. Even if we, with our mind, can, can you know, explain ourselves out of it, the body is, don't care. It had that ex experience and it was not good. And it will remember it. And then maybe the next time you go into the same situation, the body already goes, ooh, this is not good. Now it's already starting to maybe tense up a bit for the female body. 
having another, and then you get these layer on layers. So we get this onion we often peels off in, in our sessions of having to go through multiple layers that have different variations of, of why that level came on it. Um, and then there's the adult experiences also um, that can be very related to, to actual experiences, but others are just as much related to um, how attractive were you perceived by uh, you know whoever you wanted to attract. Um, and if you were not very attracted, uh, you know, you were not the one that were getting hunted down, lots of offers every time you would go out. For some, that also then ends up in their self-esteem and things that goes into the self-esteem often ends up also having an impact on their experience about themselves sexually. If the self-esteem is not high, then, then they can often be mixed into each other as well. Um, and then the, the last group, which is much bigger than people are aware of, mm. come to me with, with various type of sexual genital issues. And then it turns out that we find the root cause in the throat. It had nothing to do with their sexuality, but your throat and your genitals originates from the same place in the embryo, grew apart. So it's basically two ends of, of a long rope. And what happens in one end will copy in the other. So you can have the, the root cause in a different place than where you have the symptoms, uh, which is also why I often will um, will end up with, with having people coming to me wanting to work with genitals. And I say, great, but we also have to work with your throat. Or they come to me and they're like, yeah, I, I really need to work on my throat. And I say, great, but eventually we also need to include your genitals because we don't know when we start working are we just dealing with the symptom or are we actually addressing what caused it? Mm. Uh, I, I, this, this work is so important and I find so few resources which are balanced and communicating to people in a way that can meet them. And so again, I can't stress enough uh, for people to seek out your work. Uh, and yet, especially on the female side, like you said, being penetrated, that sense of um, invasiveness is real at a nervous system level. And um, I would love if you would walk through some of the symptoms, um, specifically in the female anatomy, and this can help for males, especially males who have female partners, uh, to also do not necessarily a diagnosis, but a little bit of a listening scan of what are symptoms of armor in genitalia, specifically for women, female well, body. I mean, the, the clearest one is, of course, uh, the pain, but the next less clear one for people is the numbness, and numbness is also armor. So, uh, someone who doesn't really feel anything, that's the body that has protected itself up so much that it can't even feel pain. It makes sure I'm not going to feel anything at all. So that's also armor. And with some people, it's actually double armor. It's, it's, uh, it's a layer of numbness that came on top of them having had um, pain. And then sometimes some are like, oh, but the pain went away. And I'm like, so are you now super sensitive? No, no, I don't feel much. Okay, so your body actually was so intelligent. It didn't want you to feel pain. So now it made you numb instead. 
Um, so numbness of pain when when you're being touched or are in various types of, of sexual positions is a sign of, of armor inside because nothing is supposed to hurt inside a woman if she actually wants to have sex. If, if she's ready, if she's aroused, if, if the blood flow is perfect, if the lubrication is there, and the lubrication will come if your blood flow is okay and your arousal is there. So if these things and are you're hydrated. I said, and you're hydrated. Yeah, but but even that one is is you have to be seriously dehydrated to not lubricate. <laughs> it's a good excuse, but you have to be seriously dehydrated. <laughs> you might have a bit less, but you would still, if you are very aroused, you would you would still um, lubricate. So so these are are clues definitely, um, but it can also be that. Um, that the the tissue is like tight tightness because uh, a a natural vagina is not tight i mean it's it's created of of these fibers and tissue that can dilate enough to get a baby head out and and it's a bit like this i don't know what the the name concordion this uh, instrument accordion yes accordion it's basically our, it created so that it can fit itself to fit the size it needs to fit so and and it will do that when everything is is you know prepared and smooth and so on so the armor you will find with with pain and with numbness but also boredom mm. that's that's a, a time that's the light version of of um armor in the female body if if let's say the first few minutes five minutes maybe 10 minutes where you are having intercourse you feel like wow it feels really amazing i'm so enjoying it and and it feels really good and then, you know, you sort of start getting a little bored. You don't feel so much anymore. You, you notice your mind goes, because I don't really feel it. That's a partial numbness, but it's also due to armor. It's just a less strong armor. Because if there is no armor in, in, in the vagina area, um, and you are in the mood for sex, intercourse, lovemaking, I mean, a woman can go on forever. It, it's it's she doesn't shut down in two minutes that's the the male physiology that does that the female physiology once it's running it's a little more like a freight train where you know it's on full speed and yes you might turn off the engine but it'll take quite a while for it to sort of you know slow down again so so that's i i know i'm very strong in my categorization right now but if you have optimal um de-armored vagina then everything inside there when you are with a, a beloved you want to be with would be experienced as pleasurable as blissful as something where you'd be like why wouldn't i want to be in that you know it's so good so why would i want to go away from it or stop you you would be much longer in that unless you have children and you're afraid they walk in on you of course <laughs> <laughs> And for those listening who uh, might be recognizing some symptoms that you've just mentioned within their own sexual experiences, what advice do you give for both men to help female partners or females in their own journey? Yeah, can I give one little advice for or suggestion to uh, the listeners? Please, so many. Yeah. yeah. Let's say you are with your your partner, and in uh, the movement of a, a sex position and suddenly you experience whoa there's a point that's painful what most people do is that they pull away from the point 
but actually the penis is a perfect dearmoring tool. So here, instead of both pulling away from the area, it's actually much better to push the penis up against the point that hurts and then stop moving. Both stop moving just with the pressure of the penis against the um, point. If the, anyone moves, it's the woman who moves on the penis. So she can sort of grind herself if she wants to. But best is that both breathe into the point of touch. So where their bodies are meeting. So both breathe into it. And in most cases, when you do this in the middle of lovemaking, that armor will dissolve itself within 30 mm. seconds, three minutes. And then typically you will experience that, you know, you were in a rouse and, ah, oh, it's a good, ah, oh, ah, oh, ah, oh, ah. Oh. And then, ah, oh. then when it's over, whoops, then comes the arousal back off. And it can be quite a fun dance where, oh, oh, stop, breathe, yes. And then, ha. Huh move back in so so actually that can be a a way of of using love making also as a dearming tool mm, beautiful and for let's say female-bodied individuals who don't currently have a partner how would you recommend that they start doing the work of of dearming i would suggest you should be like really yeah. start touching but not not with the purpose of masturbation so also when when it's uh, sexual dearming gentle dearming forget anything about i'm i'm trying to arouse myself or it has to be like masturbation no it's uh, here it's better to imagine that you never ever saw a vagina your entire life and now suddenly someone gave you this weird thing in your hands for you to explore so you have that curiosity mm. of really examining and every time you touch a point First, hold still, then move your finger a tiny bit, maybe pressure a little, maybe tap a little. What if I stroke? Try different things to also see how sensitive you are, um, but also to just get to know what do you even like? Because most of us don't really know what we like in detail. Um, and then if there's a point that comes across like, uh, I, I can feel with my finger that I'm touching it, but if I'm trying to feel my finger from the inside, I can't really say that the finger is there, or maybe I can say the finger is there, but I, I wouldn't be able to, from an introspective uh, point of view, say whether or not I was touching myself on my front wall or back wall, because that's also armor. If you can't place exactly where you touch it, the touch no. is, yeah, then there's a numbness. And then hold on to the point and then breathe into the point, but breathe in from the body perspective. So when you do self-dearming, you want to switch between sometimes having your finger explore to feel, is it tight here? Is it firm? Is it soft? You know, but then afterwards you want to have the inside of you feeling the finger and you want to take your breath to the internal side, so into your vagina. So your breath is from the inside meeting the finger. This, and then you stay with the points. And some points you have to stay with one point for really, really long. If you have a cervix that is either experiencing pain, it shouldn't, it should actually feel either just neutral or pleasure um, or nice, but not pain or, the, or nothing. Um, you can experience if you want to reawaken the numb cervix that maybe you have to stroke one point for 20 minutes nonstop before you can even feel, oh, now I can feel my finger from the inside. It can take really long to reawaken it. Yeah, especially mm -hmm. depending on how long it's taken you to, to get to the state that you're at. 
This is the tip of the iceberg, if you will, the tip of the cervix. <laughs> There's so much more to dive into. Um, and if, if, um, if your listeners have never investigated uh, their cervix and they have one, I mean, this is a gateway to altered states and spiritual realms. And it's quite unique that we have this gateway in the body and I can only speak for myself. I had to experience it myself before I could truly believe it. Before that, it was just something that some people said, but yeah, yeah, it, it was a nice story until I actually had the experience myself. And I was like, oh my God, I have the gate to, you know, the, the universe inside of me. Why didn't anyone tell me earlier? Because I was 46 before I got to have that experience. Yeah. yeah. And then that sense of why didn't anyone tell me earlier is, like that's how I felt in coming to a women's retreat. Why didn't I have healthy female sexuality demonstrated to me? And um, yeah, this is a <laughs> it's a big, big upstream swim. Uh, and I hope as many people as possible listening to this will continue to investigate further, even if it's a simple body scan of where am I routinely holding tension. And then just gentle, loving inquiry into why could that be? What is that about? Ask your body. It has the answers. So. Yeah. And, and remember to never make it the enemy, that thing. that mm. is thing. Because if you make it an enemy, you're actually just telling your body that there's an even better reason to hold on to this armor because somebody is against it. So it's mm. the, and this is where the compassion and the love and acceptance for these parts come in. Because we, we want them to realize I'm not needed anymore. Yeah. Mm. Thank you so much, Suzanne. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Until soon, anyone can find you at thegaiamethod.com. Yes. Yes. And remember, there's these dashes in between the dash uh, guy. Dash guy, dash method. Got it. Amazing. So, how was it? Did you like it? Thank you so much for listening and joining us for season seven of the Vitality Podcast with the Institute for Aliveness. It is my great pleasure to share these conversations and reflections and my lectures from all over the world with you in the comfort of your own home or on your jogging path or on your way to the grocery store, wherever you might be right now. At the Institute for Aliveness, we are here to hold higher standards for humanity, to kind of cast a light upon the path to evolution, personal evolution that involves much more than just the body or the mind, but really the cohesive, holistic nature, the robustness of who and how we are showing up as a human today and where our personal inventory of our past and what's made us the way we are from a neurological, neurobiological level to a physical level and to take agency for that and decide how we want to drive and where we want to drive in the future and so there's no like to no day like today to fully embrace and take into account the agency for you and the life that you're living it may be a beautiful one we're sending you so much love here from tifa headquarters and we hope that you'll come and join us for a short course soon how is listening to that for you? If you learned from or moved by the episode, pay it forward. Go to Apple now and leave a five-star review so others can benefit. Join the Institute for Aliveness for a one-week transformational fasting experience. Consider getting an astrology reading from Andy or enroll in the one-year health coach certification course. 
Whatever you do, don't let this learning pass you by. Do something now to impact your lifestyle for good.